0: The University of Johannesburg, the future reimagined.
1: Hello, and welcome to our library podcast series exploring cutting edge research done at the University of Johannesburg. My name is Maria Framab, and it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Farai Shirove to this podcast. Dr. Shirove will be exploring with us how we can use mathematical modeling to more precisely understand COVID and its impact. Dr. Sharove is a faculty member in the University of Johannesburg Department of Mathematical, sorry, Dr. Sharove is a faculty member in the UJ Department of Mathematics and Applied Mathematics. Dr. Sharove, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you very much for welcoming me to this uh,
1: podcast. Dr. Shirobe, you use mathematical models to understand the prognosis of COVID-19. It sounds very interesting, but I'm not quite sure that I, and possibly the listeners, understand how you do this. So could you please explain to us how you use mathematical modelling?
0: So uh, mathematical uh, modeling, in, uh, in simple terms, is just the represented the, the representation of uh, uh, real life problems in mathematical equations. So uh, we look at the the real life system. In this particular case, it's COVID nineteen problem, and then we say, take this epidemiology of COVID nineteen translate or transform it into mathematical equations so what we have now is a real life problem of covid-19 represented by an equation with symbols and uh, and parameters and variables and and then we will then solve the mathematical problem get mathematical solutions that uh, can be validated on the, from uh, from the COVID-19 problem that we are solving. And then we can now say, these mathematical solutions can be interpreted to mean this is what is happening uh, in COVID-19. We can also then do uh, some projections into the future to say, if conditions on COVID-19 are like this, what is the likelihood of uh, of, of uh and, uh, and uh, what is likely to happen uh, in the uh, in, in future. If we change them, what will happen? And now, depending on uh, the situation we are looking at, for example, if we look at teng data, we we'll then say, what will happen to Teng if we have the number of cases recorded for Kauteng, uh tested on the model? What will happen to the epidemic in Teng? We can then change and use the same model to test for each and every province. We can also use the same model to test for a country, or we can use the model test for a larger region. But of course, when you do that, there are other things that you adjust depending on what is happening in one uh, particular province or one space to another, one setting to another. So, so, so this is in summary what mathematical models do. They represent a real life situation and they help us to clarify the thinking, to uh, analyze uh, the situations in a way that is uh, uh, that protects the assumptions that have been made from the beginning all the way to the end without losing uh, some of the assumptions along the way. So we are preserving the assumptions and we will then be able to make predictions based on the assumption that we have preserved from the beginning. So this is uh, the beauty of, uh, of, of, of mathematical model. And in particular, uh, the, it's use in COVID-19 uh, 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 pandemic in terms of understanding the transmission dynamics and uh, the interventions, the effects of the interventions that are used to to, to try and curb this infection. So in summary, that's what I can say is uh, what mathematical modeling can do.
1: Dr. Sharabe, that sounded interesting, but I'm not exactly sure that I fully understood. If I put it into these layman's terms, am I on the right track? So if A equals number of sick people, and B stands for number of people vaccinated and C stands for something like um, income below 5,000 a month. You could do something like A plus B minus C would give you an answer. Is that the sort of thing that mathematical modeling is about so that you take real life. Um, issues like number of people who are sick, number of people vaccinated, and we give mathematical symbols to those things.
0: Yes, uh, we'll expand on that as well. Uh, so basically, you, we, we, when we look at the whole population, let's take, for example, the population of South Africa, we have people who are not sick, who have not contracted uh, COVID-19. Uh, up to now, these people we call them susceptible individuals. There are these individuals who have not had uh, the virus introduced into their system, but they're at risk of getting infected. So that's their status. If we take these people together and put them in one group or if we were were able to quarantine them into one group we would then form a compartment of susceptible individuals. But there are also those individuals who have contracted the, the 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 virus either through human to human conduct, through touching surfaces that have been contaminated with the virus and all other forms of transmissions, transmission pathways that we have for COVID-19. But they only have the virus in their body they but they can't transmit yet we can classify these people into another compartment that we will call exposed uh, individuals. But there are these these people who after some time will then become uh, enabled to transmit the virus from one person to the other. When they start showing symptoms, some don't show symptoms, but once they start coughing and talking close to, to, to each other, they can actually transmit the virus to the next person. So these people, we then call them infected individuals, which are actually infectious, which means they can transmit. Then we can also talk about those people who have uh, recovered from the infection through natural immunity, or they have gone to the hospitals and they have been given uh, some treatment to manage the symptoms so that they can now they can recover after some time after they clear the virus from their bodies. We have those as recovered combatants. We can also then have these ones who have been vaccinated uh, and they are now protected by the vaccine in the sense that some vaccines will uh, just uh, they will just fall sick but it will prevent them from falling sick but they will not uh, they, they, they will be infected, but they would not fall sick, and also their chances of transmitting is now very low or close to zero. Then we put them in the vaccinated uh, uh, class. We can come up with other different classes: the hospitalized, the quarantined, or the isolated. And as we do that, we are we are we are coming up with the groups of people which we can call we, which will give us the variables that are changing over time. So uh, then we will then say what is the rate of change of the population of susceptible individuals? What is the rate of change of the population which are exposed? what is the rate of change uh, of the population that are vaccinated? And so forth, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth, until we finish all of these compartments that we have, depending on the definition of the problem. And then from there, we will form what we will call the what we call the differential equations. In this particular case, they are called ordinary differential equations. So when we say rate of change, we are just saying the derivative of this class with respect to time, the change of this class with respect to time. And we now have processes that uh, basically determine the movement of these people. Birth and death processes, the infection, the recovery process, the vaccination rate, the vaccination efficacies. And uh, we then now formulate an equation that represents all those assumptions we would have put in place about this population and this categorization. So after that, we have now what we call a mathematical model, which is defined by a system because each variable, each class has a differential equation representing it. Susceptible class has a differential equation representing it. Exposed class, the same, infectious, recovered, vaccinated, and other classes, each of them is represented by a differential equation. And then when we put these differential equations together, we will then form a system of differential equations. And once we have that system of differential equations, we then say, we have converted a COVID-19 problem into a mathematical form where all the assumptions are represented by each term that appears in the differential equation. And then when we do that, then we start talking with two mathematicians Uh, mostly now. Here is a system of differential equations. What should we do with them? And then we uh, now see that we have a rich source of theories that can handle solutions to these uh, 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 differential equations. These theories will enable us to say, these mathematical models will only give us Positive solutions which represents numbers of people. Uh, so we can do those restrictions. We can find what are called analytic solutions where we can get the exact solutions of the of the of the number of people who over time who are in the susceptible class. If, if the inflation is there, what will happen to the, to the number of people in the future? So we can we can get that. But with the nature of the differential equation we have, we can't get such, such exact solutions. So we have approximate solutions and we have theories of approximation. When we now have what are called numerical solutions, where we can then say, we have these values for the parameters. What is the rate of infection? What is the rate of recovery? Uh, And uh, we can now put those values in and start now producing those graphs that we see being projected uh, in uh, so many platforms when they, they present the, Uh, their findings. And then we can then say, now we have uh, the data for South Africa, for example, let's calibrate the model so that it can give us the parameters, parameter values for the South African context. And then now when we have that, we can then start saying, what if we increase the vaccination rate? What will happen to the number of new cases? Are we going to reduce uh, avoid a peak from, from occurring in the future. And, uh, and so forth and so forth and so forth. so So the, that's basically what uh, these uh, mathematical models can do in terms of transforming COVID-19 problems into mathematical forms and solving the solution, the, the mathematical problems to get mathematical solutions, And then we then come back to answer the question that we would have asked when we were formulating these models. And then we will then say, does it make sense? Is it really answering the problem uh, uh, Comparing compared to what is happening? If it still doesn't make sense, we have a chance of going back through the same process to refine the problem and make the uh, solutions as closer to the real, the solution that, uh, that, that, that we will need or that are anticipated or that we don't know. Uh, uh, uh in terms of what would happen and, and, and those that is where now you then have uh, a, a, some chance to make some police uh, uh, some police uh, statements to advise what could happen and uh, in terms of interventions where specifically should we target because we can we have all those tools to test which parameters are drivers of the infection. And uh, how, how, how bad is it in terms of the mathematical uh, analysis? So so, so, so that's uh, uh, what will happen when you give me a problem uh, like the one you were trying to explain to me uh, when I translate it to the mathematical problem and finding solutions.
1: Thank you, Dr. chirobe That was very, very interesting and very illuminating. So based on this, what can mathematical modeling tell us about the transmission of the disease? And what has your research found so far?
0: So um, the first uh, attempt of uh, of COVID modeling uh, was uh, on a study that I did with uh, my collaborators, which involve, which includes Professor Bazo, who is also a specialist in the same area with me, and uh, one, one of his PhD students and another colleague in the department. So we were in the lockdown level 5, uh, 26 March uh, uh, 20, 2020, uh, our first lockdown. And then uh, we saw now uh, an opportunity to say what could be the potential impact of social distancing on COVID-19, in South Africa. And we uh, this was informed by when we looked at the mobility data of people before and after the lockdown. So we saw certain trends that uh, from the uh, Google mobility data that showed that uh, uh, the movement of the people uh, was uh, initially impacted by the lockdown measures but after some few days of lockdown we started seeing the mobility increasing even though people were not supposed to be moving out and then then we then said what is the potential impact of either tightening the lockdown measures or relaxing the lockdown measures that are already there. So we had uh, the data for new cases that was publicly available. And we designed a model that captured dynamics before the lockdown where we had people from outside importing the virus into the into the country. And the model now changed into a model where now no one was, the borders were closed. And we captured all those realistic situations, and uh, calibrated the info, the 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 model with the uh, number of new cases, uh, and then up to 18th of April, and then we said let's project into the future, and see where we will be in uh, after the at the end of lockdown level five, which was anticipated at the end of the of, of 30th of April. So then we uh, let the model now tell us what was doing after calibrating it. It was giving us the parameters that could be representative of South Africa's parameters, and then we projected, and then we found the projection of uh, that was determined by the data, uh, and then we then say, said, if we had to relax these uh, uh, lockdown measures by just two percent. we allow people to go to move by at least a measure of two percent anyhow, what would happen? And we would see that uh, you could increase the uh, the number of, of, of cumulative cases by almost uh, 21 percent uh, by the end of uh, level five. And then we said, if you just reduce that by two percent, this was hypothetical. And then uh, what would happen? And then you would see that you would have avert the number of cumulative cases by eighteen percent. So, so then we said, okay, let's leave these results until the end of lockdown, and see where we, where. What would ever happen happen to South Africa? So, at the end of the day, we found that the cumulative cases have had moved to relaxation by percent, and, and 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 this is one thing that uh, mathematical models could tell you. When you project, you can give a range of uh, possibilities in outcomes. So at the end of the lockdown level five, we could say, uh, indeed, there was uh, a, the, we could see that uh, there was a relaxation in, uh, in lockdown measures by people defying, or by other. Uh, groups of people being allowed by, by by the government to also be out there uh, under the, the the blanket uh category of uh, essential workers and stuff like that so so that's one 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 um uh, one, one 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 study that we we did and uh, this this got published and we were happy that this it was a short-term prediction uh, uh model we're happy that we could do that And of course, uh, uh, later I did uh, another study uh, using the Nigeria data where uh, they were promoting self-isolation and uh, they were trying to uh, institute some mass mass testing. And we then said, uh, what benefits can we get in Nigeria? The Nigerian situation, I had some collaborators from Nigeria, uh, one of them was a medical doctor who was helping us. Explaining the problem, so we definitely looked at the benefits of isolation and mass testing in, in Nigeria, and of course, um, a, we we then saw that if you increase mass testing and reduce, then uh, reduce the transmission from the self-isolated individuals. So you would have those who are self-isolating at home and those who are in the mandatory uh, isolation. Those who are sick and they need to be monitored. So, uh, because these self-isolated individuals are not usually uh, 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 picked when uh, uh, when you do some surveillance until you do some massive testing. So, so when we increase mass testing and reduce the transmission from this dangerous group, that is not always. Picked in the in the system, the, the self-isolated individuals. We saw that this uh, led to this could lead to uh, inc- increase in detected cases. Uh, uh, this could lead also to lowering of peaks of the symptomatic cases. This could also lead to the decrease in cumulative deaths, and it would also lead to decrease in admissions into mandatory isolation. Uh, Facilities, and uh, and uh, uh, some of the uh, the outcomes from the Nigerian study that we did were almost were also similar to the ones that we were doing on social distancing in South Africa. The sense that social uh, the 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 lockdown and uh, increase in social distancing was lowering the peaks and. Uh, in this case, if you increase mass testing and reduce transmission from those uh, isolated individuals, you would also reduce the peaks as well. And uh, then we could then conclude that it's not only the effect of social distancing that could lead to, uh, 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 to 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 lowering of peaks, but also even the increase in testing and the reduction in transmission from the group that is normally not picked from the system because they don't go to get tested. They they don't really show symptoms. So if you then go into community testing uh, intentionally, you could also reduce the peaks and also at the end, reduce the congestion of the health facilities at the end. So, So we could now see several factors that could contribute to the same thing. Then the question would be: What if you then combine all these factors that are reducing, that's are that are lowering the peaks? What would be the impact of doing that? That has not yet been done. From you have not yet done it from uh, from uh, from my research. So these are the uh, the two that um, uh, we have uh, outcomes so far, and uh, there are more in the pipeline that uh, we are still continuing doing the research on.
1: Dr. Chirove, thank you so much. That was incredibly interesting. And I think also very reassuring for those of us listening that um, we are actually able to uh, look at the multiple different factors that affect COVID and make decisions that are not just hoping for the best, but actually uh, developed from hard data that has been put together through a mathematical model. Thank you so much for sharing your research with us. And um, thank you to the listeners for participating in this podcast. We hope you all stay well and stay safe.
0: Thank you very much for having me. And I hope to engage with you in future pertaining to the other research that we are doing.
1: That would be fantastic. We really look forward to it. And I think that a lot of people will find it very interesting. Thank you so much for your time.
0: The University of Johannesburg. The future reimagined.